Okay, the Tasha's Kitate. Eight o'clock. Well, another minute, right? A minute? More than a minute? Okay. This is what the Torah says in the Pash of Kitay Say. So there's a statement about people who belong to the nations of Ammon and Moab. And it says in the Torah, And Rashi says, And Ammoni and a Moabi cannot marry a Jew, a, 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 Jewish, a Jewish woman, and become part of the uh, Jewish people. And, this, uh, and, and, and the Torah emphasizes, Gabdar Atsiri, Lo Even ten generations, ten generations later, Lo they can't become part of Hasanei uh, Yisrael. Okay, I mean, the Torah, the Torah uh, tells me this statement, and then it goes on to explain it, to explain why we are so uh, opposed to Amon and Noah. Al-Dvar, that's okay. Al-Dvar, asher lo kidmu etchem ba'lechem u'bamayim, b'derech b'teitchem b'mitzrayim. At first they didn't let you uh, they didn't give you bread and water as you were going on the trip from the Mitzrayim to Eretz Yisrael. They didn't give you Lechem and Mayim. The Derech Mitzrayim Mitzrayim. That's the first thing. Ba'asher Sechar Alechad Bil'an Ben Ba'obi Petorah Ba'obanarayim Lekal Alechad. So you remember the story about Bil'am. So Bil'am the story of Bil'am is associated with Moab. So I guess that the Lechem and the Mayim is associated with Ammon. So even though the ruling for Ammon and Moab is the same, the reason behind the ruling is different. Ammon is one reason, and Moab, there is a, uh, another reason. Pasuk Vav. And then this sort of a parenthetic remark about Bil'am. That even though Moab, even though the Moabites tried to use Bil'am as a weapon against the Nei Yisrael, HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't allow it to happen. Moabzah. Did not want it to happen, and therefore the bracha, the klala was changed into into a bracha. So now we have we have the statement about uh, about Amon and about Moab, and they're not accepted in with the Jewish people. They can't marry an Amonite, cannot marry a Jewish girl and become part of the Jewish community somehow. And then Pasuk Zion says, Lo shulomam v'tovatam kol yamecha le'olam. Lo shulomam v'tovatam. It's hard to know exactly what that means. Rashi says, V'chalal shenemar, and that's in... Uh, that's what you Zion, which we'll see shortly. Uh, it says, Imcha Yeshev Bikir Becha, Bimakor Shimcha Machat Sharecha Batuv Lo. So Rashi says, Yichlal Shemamar, Yichol Avzekein, Tabod Lomar, Lotid Roshimoma. In other words, if you look down at Pasuk Tetzayin, right, see there, we skip from Tet to Tetzayin. 
Pesukteh Zion is a different topic. It's Pesukteh Zion says, Ki Tazgir Eved El Adonav, Asher, Asai Lo Tazgir Eved El Adonav, Asher Inatzel Elechav Me'im Adonav. So there's this idea of a runaway slave. Um, and, and you shouldn't return the runaway slave. Eved El Adonav. So that when it comes to an Ebed, of course, not to, we're talking about a non-Jewish slave, who is a slave of a non-Jew, if he runs away, then our obligation is, uh, is to, keep him, to keep him with us, right? Not to let him, not to let him, he becomes one of the, social causes that the Torah demands us to be concerned with, an evidence. So it says, in that that Ebed who is not Jewish, but who is not identified historically as an enemy of Am Yisrael, is allowed to stay with you and you don't return him to his owner. You, you, you're against, even though the, the uh, Avduk, even though slavery exists, but you're against slavery, and you're not going to promote it. So Rashi says, if you look back at the Rashi in Pasuk, in Pasuk Gavav, Loti Drosh Shalomam, Michal Shinamayim Chayishem B'Kebechei Chol Av Zekein, Avud Lomam Loti Drosh Shalomam. So Loti Drosh Shalomam means that even, even just to live in your midst, is forbidden when it comes to the Ammoni and the Moavi. And this is, you know, in contrast, this is in contrast to what the Torah says about an Evet. Okay, so not only an Ammoni and a Moavi, not only can't they marry into Am Yisrael by marrying a Jewish woman and becoming part of the community somehow, but they can't even live in the community. They can't even, they can't even be part of it. The Ebed who runs away from his from his owner, he can remain part of of uh, of that community. Then in Pasuk Chet it says Lotita Eva Domi Kiachichahu. Edomi is associated with Esav. Right? Kiachicho, even though Esav was not exactly the history of the of Am Yisrael or of Yaakov or Bino and Esau is not such a, uh, uh, nothing to be so proud of. It's not such a, such a great history. Nevertheless, the prophet says, Lo adami, you can't hate the Edomite, ki achichahu. Lo titaev mitri, ki gerait avatro. Adnim atayivaldu lahem doshlishi, yavolem mekal Hashem. And children, that are born to the Edomites, who become Jews, of course, after three generations, they can marry anybody, anybody in the, in the uh, Jewish uh, people. So Rashi explains, again, that the, the, the Edomites have to wait three generations, but everybody else can convert and marry in immediately. Shemachti la'adam kashelo min ha'orgo. Sh'orgo, oreg ba'olam hazeh, v'amachti'o mo'tziyo min olam hazeh v'olam ha'bah. L'fikach edom sh'kidmam b'cherev lo mit'av, v'chein mitzrayim sh'tiva'um, v'eilu sh'ekhti'am mit'avu. So Rashi is trying to make, explain to us what the difference between Edom and Mitzrayim on the one hand is, and Amon and Moab on the other hand. The Edom and Mitzrayim, they were enemies. And they came out and they came and, uh, uh, and fought at different times in history. They fought against Am Yisrael. And by fighting against Am Yisrael, by fighting against Am Yisrael, they kind of affected the Olam Haba situation. I'm sorry, the Olam Hazet situation. In other words, they didn't, want, uh, they didn't want the Jews to make it to Eretz Israel. They didn't want the Jews to have Yaakov Avidu to live in Eretz Kinnah. 
Right, so that's called Olam Hazeh. That's Edom and Mitzrayim. But Ammon and Moab, well, let's say Moab. We don't know about Ammon here so much, but the Torah says, what did, Am- what did Moab do? They sent Bilam to curse them. And then after the cursing didn't work, they sent the women, the women to seduce the men of Yisrael. So Ammon and Moab, we'll put them together for a minute. Ammon and Moab, they were trying to affect our position vis-a-vis Olam because the hate, the sin of, uh, of uh, having relations with these women to the point that it was alcohol, it was a matter of Avodah, of Avodah, they didn't just have, they didn't just have the uh, unacceptable relations, but the whole point was to get them to serve this idolatry. So that was trying to deny them their place in Olam So, of course, the enemy who tries to stop me physically from getting to where I want to get to, and that's Edom and Mitzrayim, is, uh, is less, uh, uh, um, is, is uh, less uh, uh, defiled than the Ammon and the Moab, even though, again, Ammon is like a bit of an, an annoyance here. Uh, because we know that we're talking about Moab, and, and from the Torah, the Torah seems to say that Ammon and Moab are the same thing. Right, so that, that we, we have this problem, right? We have this problem, like, what did the Ammoni do exactly? He says, Again, it says, So we have this it's only more of that, that you know, uh, bits of this. So when I read the passion with Rashi, when I read these games with Rashi, I end up with a problem. I end up with a problem. If Rashi's distinction is correct, the distinction seems to work for Moab on one side, as for the tribe and Edom on the other side. Uh, how did the Ammonites get into this? And if the Ammonites were the ones who didn't give them bread and and water, I mean, you know, like Sichon. Uh, they asked to go through the land of Sichon just to get something to drink, and they didn't want them uh, to do that. Anyway, that's what, that's what it says. That's the second hour of Parsha. Now, in the beginning of Zarim, in the beginning of Zarim, let's look at the Pesukim. Ayom Hashem Elai, outside Moab, outside Garbam and Elchama, so there's a passage in the Torah. A passage in the Torah, if we read the Torah backwards, right? First the passage in, in Kitei Che, and then the passage in the Torah, the second passage. It sounds like, okay, the Moabites are terrible people, and you can't let them in. They can't become part of your community. On the other hand, when it comes to making war against them, the Pesach says, the Pesach says, uh, In other words, that has nothing to do with the way the world is divided up. Right? You have to understand the way the world is divided up. And the world is divided up, as Rashi says at the beginning of his Pesach on the Torah, the world is divided up by God. God put all the nations in their place. And therefore, there was this question of how is it possible for Am Yisrael to go and conquer Eretz Canaan? Remember Eretz Canaan? This is Eretz Where we are, that's Eretz Canaan. How was it possible that God said conquer Eretz is Rashi? Let me tell you Rashi. How can you conquer Eretz Canaan? when we all know that somebody was living there. Right, do you remember the Shiva Amemin? They lived in Eretz Canaan. Now, the problem theologically for us, not for the Arabs in the United Nations, the theological problem for us at the time of Yeshua bin Nun was, isn't this a bit... Uh, um, irresponsible of us who are supposed to be listening to God 
to do something which contradicts what God did in the world. Now, what did God do in the world? He put the seven nations there. So if he put them there, they should be there. Okay, so that's a story. The answer to the story is, the answer to the story is that, that according to Rashi, according to Rashi, that there is Sachar Amish. That there's even Sachar Amish for the seven nations. That's the answer. Meaning, meaning, yes, God put them there. But in order to stay in Eretz Canaan, you have to deserve it. You have to deserve staying in Eretz Canaan, so they didn't deserve it. So the Israel were the agents of fulfilling the promise that God had made to Adam Lavinu, you're going to get the land. But they were also the agents of punishing the seven nations. Of punishing the seven nations. So, again, again, you see, in this Pasuk in Dvarim, I'm not explaining the Pasuk. The Pasuk in Dvarim says, look, Amon and Moab, let's talk about Moab, bad people. They're bad people. And therefore, don't let them into your community. However, the fact that God designated a place for them to live means that it's not Hefker. You can't do anything you want with that. Okay, they're bad people. Stay away from them. Don't let them into your community. Don't intermarry. All of that is true. But that doesn't mean that you go right around the world and decide every place you see people who are bad that you're going to kick them out of the places they live because that's something that has to come from HaKadosh Baruch. So HaKadosh Baruch said about Moab, bad people, don't let them in. But also HaKadosh Baruch said, that's also part of God's uh, uh, determinations. Then, uh, another Pasuk. Third, that Pasuk so we see again, Amon, just like Moab, Amon, the bad people, but they're the children of Lot, and the children of Lot get a certain portion, they get a certain inheritance, both Amon and Moab, and even though you can't let them into your community, you can't take away their allocation of land. So I have to understand that the influence is that taking away Eretz Yisrael from the Shiva Amamin was a great theological uh, achievement, right? It was an idea. It was an idea that even though God put them there, they could lose their place in Alam Hazet, these nations. They could do something so bad that they would lose their place in Olam Hazet. Then, let me just go by. I don't want to fight. I don't want to have a war with Sichon. I'll pay my way. This idea that they had this redeeming feature, that the Ammonites and the Moabites uh, did sell uh, food and water, and the uh, and the Sichon. Uh, then uh, uh, didn't want it, but in, in, in any event, there's some kind of distinction. There's some kind of moral distinction between things that Ammon and Moab did, which, according to Rashi, wants to try to affect the Olam Habda of Am Yisrael, right? and, and, and the fact that, on the other hand, they they were not punished by destruction. Right? The Kodesh Bochum did not want them to be destroyed or uh, uh, driven from their land, as HaKadosh Baruch wanted when it came to, when it came to uh, the Shiva Amemim. Right? And so that's the distinction that's in the, that's in the Torah. 
That's the distinction between the two. And now if you look at the Rambam, the Rambam in Hilchot, uh, Hilchot Melachim says this, Amon Umo'av, Ein Sholchim Ha'am now let's remember that pasuk. Loti right? That in the first source, Loti Drosh Shlomam Vetovatam Pasuk Zay. Tarekav Gimel Pasuk Zay. Loti Drosh Shlomam Vetovatam Kol Yamecha. What did Rashi say? That you rejoice Lomam Zetovatam, according to Rashi, Pasuk Zayin, Michal Shunema, and Chayeshev Bekebecha, that somehow, even though they can't marry in, but they could live there. They could live in Eretz Israel. So Rashi says, no, Loti Yosho Lomam Zetovatam, they can't live with you. The Ramdan understands the Pasuk a little bit differently. And he says, Amona Moab, Angel Hill and Shalom, when Yeshua Binuri came to Eretz Kinan, even though he had permission to drive out the Canaanites, he would uh, offer them peace. Each of the cities that were eventually conquered, and said, you know, if you want to make peace and get rid of the Apodazara and, uh, and uh, change the way that you live, then we'll make peace with you. If you don't, we'll make war with you. That was uh, the offer. That the Am- Ammonites and the Moabites, according to the Rambam, Ammon and Moab, ain't shokim and the shalom. You don't offer them peace. That's not because they're Ammon and Moab. Lote Jerusalem and the Pelotam kol yamecha. That's what it says about Ammon and Moab. Rashi says, because they denied you Olam Haba. But they denied you all of Abba, and therefore you don't offer them peace. Anuchachamim, lefishin emad v'karata elam v'shalom. Yechol amon v'roav kein. So the the chachamim said on that pasuk that even though Yoshua Benun was going to offer peace to all the all the cities in in Eretz Yisrael, what about Amon u'Moav? Talmud Lomar, what did Yoshua Lomar v'tov atam? so the Rambam has created, it's all based on the Gemara, but the Rambam has created a new status for Amon and Moab. Even though you don't offer them peace, you know, you, know, you, know, you can send these letters to all the nations of the world, but you're not going to offer peace, not going to offer peace to Iran. That's all too much. Right? You can offer peace to Kuwait and to Abu Dhabi and to Saudi Arabia. So we'll offer them peace and we'll make a deal. We'll sell them stuff, and they'll sell us stuff, and everybody will be living in in uh, in happy land. But you're not going to do that to you then, because you know they're the But the way you do is make peace with the Shigoyim. You can't do that. So the same thing is true about Amon and Moab. Amon and Moab. Not only don't you let them in to your community, but you can't make peace with them. You can't really let them, you can't let them stay because anybody who wanted to deny you Olam Haba, that's too much. That's too much. I never understand people fight, they shoot each other, they, they, they make up, they, they, they fight, they argue, okay. But Olam Haba, that's too much. So the Raman says, Avati, She'esho alin bishlonam, you understand? That if Ammon and Moab come and they say, look, you didn't offer us peace, but we want to make peace with you. We want to make peace with you. So that you can't, you can't turn away. 
come and they say, we're ready to make peace. We're ready to do whatever that means. They have to pay attention here to offer them peace because they're Mishigayim. But if they're Mishigayim, if there's something reasonable, you can't, you can't argue with it. You can't argue with it. So if you look at the Haggadot Maimonio, just to, just to, you know that the, that the, uh, the Miami Rutenberg, the Miami Rutenberg, <laughs> it was called the Miami Rutenberg because he came from Rutenberg. Well, he was in Rutenberg, which is like Rutenberg. Uh, you even may know somebody whose name is Rutenberg. Because it became a, uh, it became a Jewish name, like a city in Germany. The Miami Rutenberg died in 1295. Now, this is not a guaranteed date. It might have been 1294, it might have been 1296. But I always say 1295, because it seems like, like the died around number. 1295. He had three important Talmudim. Three important Talmudim who created the Psak of Ashkenaz. Ashkenaz, that's us. Even though we haven't been there for a while. But that's us. And his Talmudim, his Talmudim were famous names. The Rush was a Talmud of uh, uh, the three Talmudim, and we had many more Talmudim, but he had also a few average ones who are not to remember. These are the outstanding ones. Right? So there's the Mordechai wrote a commentary on the Rish, and the Rush wrote... Um, a commentary on the Gemara, like the list, and Hagarot, my Maimonides wrote a commentary on the Rambam. And one of the points that all these commentaries make is that we also know what we're talking about. In other words, the great books of Psach until that time came from Svarat. Svarat, you know Svarat? Svarat is Spain. That's not us. Even though in those days the distinctions were different, but not us. So in Spain you had the Rif and you had the Rambam. Those were the two great compilations. And not only, I mean, um, um, what do you call that? Bullets. Uh, there was the Rambam and the Rif. The Rif wrote a com- halakhic commentary on shots, and the Rambam wrote a, uh, like the whole thing. He put the whole thing together in his great uh, halakhic work. Both of these works were written in Sfarat. The Talmudim of the Malami Rittenberg, who as you now know were in Ashkenaz, wrote commentaries on these books. Now what was a commentary in those days? A commentary was where you said, oh, he's wrong, we do it this way. That's called a commentary. Like, it was like it's like sort of you make comments. That's what a, that's what a commentary is. So that the, uh, that the Mordechai wrote a commentary on the Rift. And the Rosh wrote a work which was supposed to take the place of the Rift. Like, let's forget about the Rift, we'll do it our way. Well, we'll show you how the Ashkenazim do it. And the Hagot, my money host, means comments. He wrote comments on the Ramba. He also wrote long, long comments called the Shayrot and Shubhatis. But this all doesn't matter. These three people had one common idea that they learned from their Rebbe, who was the Maram and And that idea was that we're better than they are. We, Ashkenazim, are better than they are. Of course, uh, this may or may not be to the case, and we'll leave this as an open question, but that's what they did. That's what they did for the Haggadot Maimonios is Ashkenaz, and it's the response of uh, the Maram Rittenberg, really, salient response of the Haggadot Rittenberg to the Rambam. So let's see what the, what the Haggadot Maimonios says. You see it here on the page, at the bottom of the page? Katar Rein. Rein is Rabbi Lozum Metz. Rabbi Lozum Metz wrote a kind of Kitsu Shulchan Aruch, 
mean, we would call it a kitsur shulchan aruch, except that usually a kitsur shulchan aruch is a shortening of something longer. Whereas the the rokeach just he wrote it. Like he wrote it because he thought, I guess, that people needed it. That didn't know what the halachot was, so he wrote the book. That's what was Ravelos on the Mets. Ravelos on the Mets was the Talmud of Rabbeinu Tam. I realized that uh, these names do not appear in the newspaper. But they are, nonetheless, they're important for us. I mean, even though we, we may not even know them. But they determine how we live. Wouldn't you like to know more about the people who determine how you live? Probably would. So Ravelos on the Mets. Mets is the name of the city. Right, we call it Mets. He called it Mets. We call it Mines. Uh, you know, one of those cities. So, Lazo Mets is a Talmud of Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam was the God of Hador. He was a great man of his time. I won't compare him to anybody who lives today. But the God of Hador, everybody, everybody was afraid of Rabbeinu Tam. Lazo Mets, his Talmud did were many of what we call Balei Tosafot. So Rabbi Elazar went was at a critical point. You know, he was like, received the best education you could get. And he created the, 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 the ranging Balei Tosafot. Balei is what you know in the Gemara, the Tosafot. There's Rashi on one side, Tosafot on the other side. So Rashi was written by one person whose name was Rashi. But the Tosafot were written by a lot of people. That's why they're called Baalei HaTosafot, the ones who, who wrote the Tosafot. The critical person, the person who had tremendous authority in writing the Tosafot was Ravalotha Menetz. Ravalotha Menetz wrote a book called the Rekeach. Ravalotha Menetz, again, was the Talmud of the Marmi Rittenberg, which is who in turn was the Talmud of Rabbi Lazar Metz. So they were talking about the insiders. They're all insiders, all in on the same story. So what does that go to my mother's, which is printed in most editions, the rabbinic editions of the Rambam? Like you take a big fat Rambam, which has a lot of different things in it. One of the things is going to be the Hagos of Monios. Hagos of Monios, that's called Katav, Rabbi Lazar Metz, and that's Rabbi which means, what is it you're not allowed to do? That's for the Ammoni and the Moazi. You're not allowed to offer them peace. You're not to go to them and say, hey, you know, I'm offering peace to all these Canaanite cities. I will include you also. What does that mean? If they did something for you, if they're like unpleasant people, but they did something for you and you would like to pay them back, that's called Tashlumei Shalom. That's, that's a, a quid pro quo of peace. Tashlumei Shalom Lutakigol. If these Ammonites and Moabites are suing Chachesed, if they did something good for you, right? Mutar lefakdam l'shalom. Mutar lefakdam l'shalom. So that the that Allah of the net changes everything. Changes everything. Up to now, we thought that Ammon and Moab hopeless, right? The hopeless characters. Along comes the Baruch and the Baruch says that if they do something nice to you, I mean, they, they're, they're good to you, you can offer them peace as a payment. You can be nice to them. Now listen, Shemelah, there's a Pasuk, where we're going to prove this, the Dravolotlevets proves this, and the Pasuk, if you turn the page, is a perfect someplace here. On the, on the second page, at the bottom, the last source is Vayiachlechein Vayamot Melech B'nei Amon Vayemloch Hanun B'no Tachtav Story! At the time of David HaMelech, the king of Amon died. 
King Ramon, bad guy, bad company, bad group. What should you do with the King Ramon? I push him away. Don't have anything to do with them. By the Ammonites, they have their land. By God, won't let us kick him and kick him off the land, but we don't want to do anything with them or to them. And so he had a son. The son was Chedem Chanun. David HaMelech said, Esech Chesed Im Chanun Ben Nachash. Like, you know, if you were writing a play and you had a bad guy, so you might call him Nachash. You know, just in case the audience couldn't figure out who the good guys were and who the bad guys were. I mean, Nachash is about as bad as you can get because in our in our memory of things, right? In Nachash, he messed it all up. I mean, the whole thing forever is messed up because of Nachash. So, so Nachash had a son. His son's name was Chanun. Along comes David Amel, who we assume knows all the stupid in the commission, knows about the the opposition of the Torah to Amon and Moab. And what does he say? He says, "Esech Chesed." In Chanun ben Nachash, Kasher Asa Aviv Imadi. Says I'm going to help him out, Chanun, because his father helped me out. Kasher Asa Aviv Imadi Chesed. He did Chesed. He let me stay there when I was running away from Shaul Hamelech. By Ishlach the father Nachamo. So they went to the they went to the shiva and they said, you know, uh, we're very very sorry to hear that your father died. But in those days, if a king went and did a thing like that, it was it had implications. So that was a chesed. What did Rabbi Lozanimet say? Let's go back to our God's good money. It's the bottom of the page. He says, I will touch the Mishnah He says, if somebody did you a favor, if a bad guy did you a favor, a real favor, you're allowed to pay him, to compensate him. To remember them for peace. Right? Even though the Torah says, don't make peace with them, but Dr. Amalek was able to make a sort of peace with Hanun. That's it. That's it. So that the that the safer Haroteach at least the way it's summarized in Nagod, Maimonios, in Ashkenaz, they had this idea that no one is incorrigible. Who are the worst people in Jewish history? Amon and Moab. Worse than Edom and Mitzrayim. And so the Torah says, you can't make peace with them, you can't talk to them, you can't, you can't have anything to do with them, you can't let them into your community. Along comes the Rekeach, 2,200 years later, and he says, yes, but there's an exclusion. And we know that exclusion from Dover HaMelech. And even though Dover HaMelech doesn't say clearly, we assume that Dover HaMelech knew the Torah, we assume that Dover HaMelech knew the Halakha, and we assume that Dover HaMelech is expressing the true position of the Torah in saying that if the Ammonites and the Moorites do something to you or for you that's a nice thing to do, you're allowed, you're allowed to, uh, uh, to compensate them, to compensate appropriately. The second source is the Radvaz, where David and Zimro, the Radvaz, wrote a commentary on certain sections of the Rambam that are printed they are printed in this, you know, in the rabbinic Rambam. The important thing to know is that the Radvaz of David ben Zimra was the Rebbe. Who's Rebbe? Who is he the Rebbe of? Who? Uh, yes, but this is another step. Right? The Shittim Kubetis. 
right? He's the Rebbe of the Shita of Kabbetz. The Shita of Kabbetz is a B'Tzal Ashkenazi. This is taking place now in Egypt. We're in Egypt. The Radvaz was the Rebbe of the Shita of Kabbetz, who both of them lived in Alexandria. And the Arizal, you know that name? Right? If you've ever been floating around in Tzvats or, uh, or Uman, you must have heard of the Arizal. The Arizal came from Yerushalayim. The Arizal came from Yerushalayim. His father died, and his mother was very poor. And she had a rich relative in Alexandria. So she figured that she'd give it a try. So they went to Alexandria. Arizal, the Arizal, who was ex- uh, uh, apparently an extraordinary student, studied shots with Betzalel Ashkenazi, this Betzalel Ashkenazi, and in fact, in this tremendous compendium that he wrote called the, or compiled, called the Shittah Mekubetzet, there is mention of the Arizal from time to time. But Bejlan Vaz, who was the Rebbe of Betzalel Ashkenazi, was also the Rebbe of the Tzal Ashkenazi in Nistar, you know, in Kabbalah, the stuff that, that makes you float, like hover. So they were all hovering together. And then, so he became the, he was inadvertently or advertently, however it works, Bashamayim, he was also the Rebbe of the Arita. So Arita learned Kabbalah from the Red Vaz, as Shalom Yankov said correctly. But the way it worked was that the Razvaz was the Rebbe in Nigla and also the Rebbe in Nisa, and then he let the Arizal in. And then you know the Rebbe, that the Arizal went to, uh, went to Tzvat, and all the rest is history, you know, as they say. And you know that the Arizal was in Tzvat for a very short period of time, and he managed to change the world of the Jewish people. It's like a, it's an amazing story. I haven't read the story yet. I haven't seen the movie. So he's got to be there at some point. But he was in Svat for about a year. About a year. And in that year, in that year, he took all the capitalists in Svat, all the people who were like, doing it, and he remade them all. They all became his Talmudim. And so forever after, Kabbalah of Svat is associated with the Ariza. So this is the Radzaz. I'm going to tell you what the Radzaz wrote a commentary on the Rambam. Remember the Rambam said? The Rambam said, I'm on a Moab, stay away from, uh, stay away from them. Uh, but you can let them in. The Ra'ain said that it's a Pasuk in, a Pasuk in Shmuel about David HaMelech. The Radzaz asked, Adds, if you look at the Radvaz in the middle, that middle column, columns to three, Pashikitesi, Moti, Drosh, Lomam, the Krauch, and Emma, the Tov, Lomo, Tumenu, the Hob, Af, Emu, Kain, Tov, Lomo, Tov, Atam, Koyo, Mechel, Olavo, Me, Olavim, Ajkan. So, really, what the, what the Radvaz is about to answer is so, how come, what, what do we do now? What do we do now? So, the Radvaz reminds us, the last line in the Radvaz. You know Sanchayim? Sanchayim was in charge of the exile of the ten tribes. Remember this? We used to have twelve tribes. No? Yaakov Avinu had twelve sons, and they became twelve tribes. I don't know if you've noticed, but they just aren't there anymore. Now, when did this happen that the 12 tribes disappeared? It happened when Sanchez exiled the northern kingdom in the year 722 BCE. Sanchez exiled them. And in exile, they seem to have disappeared. But at the same time, Sanchez, who was like a warrior type of a person, the Gemara says, he messed up everybody. 
he moved the nations around and the people around and, and it turned out that as a result of Sancheir, which Sancheir did, we no longer know who belongs to Ammon, who belongs to Moab, who belongs to Edom. So, so what the Ravaz is saying is, what the Ravaz is saying is, any event, anyway, we don't have to do it. Because we don't know who a real Ammonite is and who a real Moabite is. And so, we, we, take that, we take that away. What did we learn from all of this? What do we learn from all of this? We learned an interesting thing. I, mean, I don't know if you're, uh, if you're with me exactly on this. We learned an interesting thing. And the interesting thing that we learned is that Kafui Tov is worse than not explicitly to a direct command from the Torah. If the Ammonites and the Moabites, who are the worst people that you could imagine, because they wanted to deny us Olam Haba, but if they want to, if they do something for our benefit, if they do something that helps me to get to where I want to get to, in life, in the world, not paying attention to that is called kriyat tov. Kriyat tov means I turn away from goodness. I don't consider the fact that you did something good to me. That's called, that's called kafui, that's called kafui tov. That's called kafui tov. Now everybody knows that David HaMelech was the son, the grandson, the great-grandson of a Moabite woman. Was the grandson of a Moabite woman. And everybody knows that the Torah says, the Torah says you can't marry Ammonites and Moabites. So how can he be the grandson of a, of a Moabite woman? Mailer, Ruth was a nice lady, and she wanted to go with Naomi. And she thought that being Jewish is the, like, highest of the high. A really spectacular thing to do. But how did she marry in to the Jewish people? So we all know that the Gemara says, Amoni, velo Amonit, Moavi, velo Moavi. That's what the Gemara says. And that's like a little glimpse. You know, like anything is awesome. You can... You could make some kind of a of a, a, a exclusion like that. Where is Amoni the law Amonit Amoni the law Amonit come from? So the explanation, if you look at the explanation, if you look at the first Sukkim, Al Tzarashen Lo Kibu Etchem Belechem Uvamayim. You see Pasuk A, Pasuk A, Al Tzarashen Lo Kibu Etchem Belechem Uvamayim. What happened? You were passing through and you asked for water and for bread. You asked for water and for bread and you didn't get it. You didn't get it. This is the Amonido Moabi. Remember I told you we have a kind of a problem. What is the Amonido? What does the Moabi do? But let's say somehow they're together. They're both together, the Amoni and the Moabi. So the Gemara said the fortune all explained. That, that after all, this is, is a public event. The Mayim and the Lechem. It's some kind of a public event. You have to come out and bring the, the bread. And you have to bring the, the, the water. So who does that? Who brings the bread and the water? Who brings the bread and the water? The men. And not the women. The women are not part of this interaction. So the Amoni, the law of Monit, and Moazi, the law of Moazit, means that the, uh, the responsible people are the ones who did the bad thing. And the women in this case, the women in this case were, uh, uh, were acting properly. And therefore it would be complete for us to deny the women access. So that the is that a Moabite man, even if he decides to become a Jew and, you know, and only eat glass kosher food, and, and, and he still can't marry in. He can't marry in because of what he did 
in his own history. But a Moabite woman, a Moabite woman can, can marry him. And, and uh, so let's... So I, I just want to understand that the issue is an issue of kafui tov. Uh, that it doesn't matter. There's history, and there's, there's something that happens to break that history. So as the Torah says, the Torah says that historically, I'm more than Moab are my enemies. But there are two exceptions. One is that the land that God gave to Ammon and Moab remains with Ammon and Moab. That's the first exception. And the second exception is that individual or groups of people from Ammon and Moab, if they do something for me, if they are show that their personality is not just the inherited personality that they receive from their own tradition, then I have to repay that goodness with goodness. Even though the Torah says, the Torah says, stay away from them, don't deal with them, and don't have anything to do with them. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the Torah is optimistic about the possibility that people will be, uh, are able to change and to be different. That's true that they inherit the genetic makeup or the chromosomes of their ancestors, but they can change. And that's what David Amalek said about Hanun ben Nachash. He said, I remember the father, he did me a great, uh, uh, a great service, so now I'm going to pay him back. That's what David Amalek said. So you see that this idea, this idea that, that uh, on the one hand, on one hand, you should be nervous about people who have exhibited in history a tragic position, like Ammon and Moab wanted to deny B'nai Israel Olam Haba, on the one hand. But on the other hand, you have to remain sensitive to the fact that people are not always captive of their own history and their own, uh, uh, their own like they say today, their own narrative, you know, like, which is like, I, I like to say that because I don't know what it means. Let's look at the Medrash. You see that small sheet that I gave out is a copy of a Medrash. So this sheet, the sheet, there's a sheet. Like this. You see it like this? In there. It's there, right? This whole story is summarized in the Medrash at the beginning of Medrash Rabbah, at the beginning of the Parish of Pinchas. At the beginning of the Parish of Pinchas. Did you get to the... German. Well, I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, no, I'm not capable of actualizing the things that I talk about. I can eat other people. That's why you have politicians. But they always disagree with each other, so I guess it's not uh... I mean, these are, these are things that you have to, if you have them in mind, you're able sometimes to apply them to a real situation. But you can't arbitrarily decide... Uh, Anyway, this is what it says. If you look at the Madrash that you have in front of you, that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said. He said, The Prophet said, You should beat upon the Midianim. When it comes to the Midianim, Right? You shouldn't do that when you, when you come close to them. You shouldn't give them a break. Sometimes you act mercifully in the wrong in the wrong situation, it, uh, uh, it comes back to you. Like, uh, too much mercy is no good either. 
‫והסוף בא לידי ביזיון מלחמות וצרון, ‫ואיזה זה דוד, ‫הוא עושה לבד דוד, ‫והיום הוא דוד עשה חסד עם חנון בן נחש. ‫עשה חסד עם חנון, ‫בסיים פסוק דתי לוקח קודם. ‫אמר לו הקדוש ברוך הוא, ‫אתה תעבור על דבריי. ‫אני כתבתי לו תדרוש שלמה ותורותיו, ‫אבל עמוד. ‫ואתה עושה עמם גריבות חסד? ‫זה מדרש שבדקנו את האופציה ‫ברוקח סד, רוקח סד. ‫אהההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההה
on the spot, so that would be too much of a burden for us to bear, I think. And so Sanchev was charged with mixing up all the nations such that today they don't exist. So we don't have to make this decision that Dover HaMelech was unable to make. And what is that decision? When you see someone who comes from a bad family or from a bad community, like who is he? Is he the result of the chromosomes that are inside of him? Or is he somehow managed to gain control of his uh, darker side and be able to act in a more reasonable way, which would prompt us to act in a more reasonable way in return? Have a good chance. Your it depends what I mean, my enemy. My enemy doesn't say anything about him. He might be a nice guy. He might be my enemy because I think he brought uh, it down Marek. Marek?